Virginia. What happened in Virginia? No one knows. Uh, Democrats still trying to figure Edward it out. Edward Durr won his little Senate race on $200 in New Jersey. Less, less than, than $200. Less than $200. $66 he spent on donuts. Uh-oh. Well, $66 well spent. If the government came and gave you federal COVID money, would you take it? No. Nope. No. Nope. Our Sheriff Wheeler up north didn't. No, no. no. Yes. Uh, our Sheriff is not Sheriff Wheeler. I know. I know. But we hey, can uh, wish. We can wish. Welcome to Cross Politic on the Sunday special. Look at the... We're, we're crowded here. We yeah, got we the are. Pugcast guys here. We got Dr. Price, Dr. Wiley, Dr. Sunshine, and then Waterboy. <laughs> no, no doctor. <laughs> no nothing. <laughs> Right, right before we started, he was asking uh, Wiley what you know what they've been talking about on their tour because yeah. they're on their Northwest and, tour, yeah. and 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 Wiley was like, "Well, it's kind of hard to explain." And Gabe was like, "So you're saying I wouldn't understand it?" Yeah. And and, and <laughs> Chris didn't really he, he argue didn't, with me on that point. No, he, didn't, no, he, didn't, he, didn't really, he just kind of looked at Gabe. Kinda, like, all right, all right, you get it. Hey, as you guys know, we're suspended on YouTube until November 22nd, so make sure you download our app. We actually put our Worldview series into the app. Oh, yeah. So you can go in and actually Gabe. listen to our worldview series in it's the app. It's a worldview shotgun series. Bam! Thank you. So make sure you check that out. And of course, join the club. Support what we got going on. Man, 2022 is coming around the corner. We got a lot of plans. We need your support. So join the club. Support Double. what we're doing. Double we're growing. Down. Thank you. All right. Is this the part where I do the plug? We got, hey guys, we got a new corporate sponsor. Speaking of plugs, during, a new corporate sponsor. Yeah, during COVID, yeah. pornography use mm -hmm. increased by over 23%. Depression rates tripled and screen time increased by five hours a day. Wow. I'm sure doing very intelligent and helpful things. Very productive. Mm. These are extremely alarming statistics, especially now we're seeing the need for true biblical accountability on our digital media. Mm -hmm. Accountable to you. I look at that. See, it's on the coffee. Coffee. Mug. I love when our sponsors give us screen. mugs. It's yeah. so nice. It's an accountability software that runs on your phone or your computer and shares detailed activity reports with a partner that you choose. Having accountability in place is a proven way to fight temptation, safeguard integrity, and provide peace of mind in your family. Don't wait until it's too late. Start your free trial today at accountable to you. That's the number two. And then the word you.com forward slash FLF. And make sure you put in that yes. FLF so they know as a corporate partner yeah, they, the value of what we're trying yeah, to do for heard, him. Heard about him from us. And I want to add one one thing here. Most people probably like familiar with like Covenant Eyes yeah. um, technology. I really do like accountable to use approach. Uh, they are not wooden about the whole process. And they're, and they're not as, I, I think theologically and how they approach it's better than Covenant Eyes. Mm, I really do. Yeah. Um, but, I've talked but, to the guys. I got to know them and everything. And so I'm, nice. I'm actually really excited about this this, nice. this partnership and everything. So, all right. So New Jersey. Yes. Okay. Uh, not New Jersey. We, we I actually want to start in Virginia, not New Jersey. Okay. okay. We'll, we'll get to New Jersey here okay. in a second. Governor Yokin beat the Democrat. Uh, he was actually a two-term McAuliffe. So how Governor, how Yokin Virginia works. Yokin or Yokin? Yogan. Mm. Yeah, like Yogi Berra, Yogan. That's not a lie. Mm. Just because I said it the way I wanted to that's say it doesn't, mean, name, it doesn't mean it's a lie. That's how okay. Gabe always says it. He just says whatever he wants to say. So okay. Virginia's an odd state where you can run for governor, win two terms, but then you got to take a break. you got to take a, a, a break for one term, and then you can run again. Okay. So McAuliffe was running again. He's already been a two-term governor okay. in Virginia. He ran against Yunkin, and the Republican Yunkin won. Yep. In Virginia. Now, what kind of, and it's a big surprise, kind of a shock to the system, very bad reflection on Biden and everything. In fact, he was at the G20 summit, I think, in the climate change summit, talking about how the polls are just, they're, they're just a little off right now. I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm fine. You mean and when I'm, he wasn't sleeping? Yeah. <laughs> at that summit. 
<laughs> yeah. He was talking about the voting machines were fine. That's what he was <laughs> At the climate change summit? <laughs> That's right. That's right. What, do you, what do you mean we didn't use the same voting machines? <laughs> well, and Obama was there, too, just a week ago, telling everybody to stop worrying about all these, you know, crazy um, right CRT's not real. Conspiracy theories. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, yeah, and let's not forget Kamala Harris, yes. who said that what happens in Virginia will be a portent for what happens in 2022, 2024, yep. and thereafter. She's, she's right. Yes. Here's hoping. Let, let's hope. Go, Chris, go ahead. Yeah, she's a prophetess. <laughs> <laughs> and a word of knowledge. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but what I want to point out is a lot of pundits, Republican pundits, everyone's excited. All the Republicans and conservatives are excited about this. Um, but um, I th- and, and a lot of the pundits are saying, "Hey, look at the campaign he ran. You know, Youngkin ran a great campaign. He kind of did. The, he played this balance yeah. between between President uh, Trump. You know, kind of yeah. not really acknowledging President Trump, but kind of taking on some of Trump's issues and yeah. kind of embodying some of that, and then kind of fighting CRT and all this stuff. And that's why he won the race. Yeah, I think he won the race because he was not Biden. He was not Democrat. He was not McCaughlin. He, he was not McCaughlin. Yeah, and yeah. which scares me because I think actually the first time he's going to have to defend something conservatively he's going to run turn like run like a coward like all the other republicans would yeah i think people people definitely voted not because of his his campaign but mainly because of what they didn't want right yeah i think he was handed something yeah yeah, yes say it again and he yeah he was handed something especially up in loudon county Um, 100 percent. yeah my family i mean i grew up in virginia so i was very happy to see this change take place right my family who live there um, in Loudoun County, uh, they live uh, in Richmond, but still, they're they're impacted by the whole state with Northam and mm. all the rest of it. It's they, they, it really has taken a different direction radically than well, the way it's, it's used to. And it's extreme. Like I mean, th- I mean this. I mean this. Not just like old school Democrats. That's right. It's like no. Well, like, it is a little bit because they're wearing KKK and blackface. I mean, yeah. so it's a little old school <laughs> yeah, 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 Democrat yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, but you know, but like this message, you know, this extreme like sex ed stuff in the classroom. that's basically pornographic, and let's help help your kids become homosexuals. And yeah. you or, or, do not have the right to say anything about your kids. Exactly, education. that's what that's it, our it's, job. It's all that, and leave right. it to the professionals to take care of your kids. That was the issue, yeah, I think, that exactly. handed it. Yeah. Right. I think that's when it, it moved in the direction of Youngkin. Exactly. Really, when, when McAuliffe said parents should not have a say in their kids' education. I think that was the uh, handing of yeah. it. Wow. So how, I'm sorry, my head kind of is popping off, exploding. But what have they been doing for the last 50, 60 years there? Oh, yeah. I mean, when I was in Boston, I was involved with a an effort called the Parents' Rights Initiative. I was actually in the presence of state senators uh, on Beacon Hill, and I heard them say those sorts of things in the 90s. Yep. So this isn't new. Yep. I mean, th- what, what's happened is a kind of revelation. Middle America is right. learning about a, a something that they've just not known about, but people like Glenn and Tom and I have had firsthand experience with in academia. Mm. You know, this is stuff that we've seen coming for decades. And we would tell people, it's coming. They'd all just say, oh, you're overreacting. It's not going to happen. You know, right. people aren't that crazy. Sounded like Obama <laughs> said when he was in Richmond. Right, right. right. Yeah. In Virginia. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So then, then uh, so there's a lot of interesting stuff that's gone on in Virginia in all this. But I, Actually, before you move off Virginia, I want to talk about down ticket. Yeah. The so lieutenant governor? The lieutenant governor. Attorney general? And attorney general. The, the lieutenant the racist. Governor, the lieutenant governor is a Jamaican immigrant, right. yep. black, right. yeah, marine. Okay, the, the attorney general yes. is Hispanic. Right. Yeah. Okay. 
So, amigo, the reason the election went the way it went was because of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, they well, pulled that one out again. Come on, <laughs> Glenn. This is the new face of white supremacy. Okay? <laughs> so, so all the got... white supremacists are black, <laughs> right. and all the people who are fighting for civil rights are white. Tropology. Mm. <laughs> and, and if you're white and you wear blackface, you aren't. Racist. You know, it's funny because it's the all, new face that's, identified, of the, yeah. that's identifying that's with, right. with the minority. That's right. <laughs> it's, it's amazing to me that the Democrats have no problem saying that critical race theory, that that is the new boogeyman of the right. But white yeah. supremacy is the boogeyman of the left. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just, they're like, it's everywhere. White supremacy everywhere. I was like, man, if white supremacy was like this back in the day. <laughs> Sign me up. We need to be no underground railroads. You know what I'm saying? This is a new form of white supremacy. Okay, so now in New Jersey, we got this hilarious situation where uh, this like no-name Republican truck driver uh, won the race against the president Senate in New Jersey. Well, you know, Glenn is from New Jersey. Oh. So he, right. he can he can help us understand how this could possibly oh, happen. Oh, real quick, before we get there, let me play the campaign video okay, yes. of this guy real quick. This is this is what a hundred <laughs> of his dollars went to. Hello, my name is Edward Derrick. I'm running for New Jersey State Senate. I've lived here all my life, raising my three kids. In 2020, my opponent sat by and watched as Governor Murphy forced nursing homes to take in COVID-19 patients resulting in the death of over 8,000 of our seniors. He remained silent as Governor Murphy, with his lockdown and mandates, forced the closing of over one-third of our small businesses, costing New Jersey family thousands of jobs. He has done nothing as seven out of every ten moves are leaving the state, placing a heavier burden on those of us who remain. The Senate President has spent 20 years in Trenton. Higher taxes, increasing debt, and a rising cost of living. We deserve better. New Jersey, it's time for a change. Yeah. <laughs> All right. In his khakis. So together, let's end single party rule. Vote for me, Edward Durr, for Senate. Durr. Edward Durr. This is how it's done, ladies and gentlemen. This is how it's done. <laughs> Watch him zoom in. <laughs> zoom in. Yes. Yes. Listen. Oh, and guys, a a campaign video shot on your iPhone. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. It was a very cheap camera. iPhone would look better. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, if, if this is what it's going to take to win campaigns, these yeah. kind of videos, I'm out of business. <laughs> I just, why do you need yeah. to hire a better yeah. quality no. filmmaker to no. do stuff? I just uh, so so here's the deal. He spent a according to records because yeah. you got to report all the money he spent on campaigns. He spent 153 dollars on his campaign. <laughs> his his opponent, the Democrat, this president Senate Democrat, he raised like 2.7 million dollars in this election. There's a lot of mad people right now. <laughs> <laughs> I want my money back. Who do I talk to? I need a refund, <laughs> and I want the donut man. And so uh, Edward Durr, he he spent you know whatever a fifty. What one hundred fifty three dollars and ninety seven dollars of it was like no, on the six, video, and, and, and sixty six dollars was on donuts. That's Dunkin' Donuts. That's that was right. it. It's got to be Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, because there's yeah, New, Jersey. Those fancy yeah, New Jersey. Jersey. Yeah. So, so Glenn, what's going on here, yeah. man? People from New Jersey can be really ornery. <laughs> and I think that this is what we're seeing here. When when you yeah. get them pissed off, they get yeah. really pissed off yeah. and they do crazy things. Yeah, yeah. This, this is I I is it that easy? I, 
Well, you got to look I, like that guy. I, I, <laughs> and I, you got to have I, a Harley. I you got to kind of like walk toward the camera. This is this is constantly. I mean, <laughs> every shot, walk towards the camera like a badass with, with your beer belly. Out. <laughs> what was with the cemetery? I mean, it was just sort because of because like, he's talking about people dying, COVID oh, from okay. COVID deaths, like nursing home deaths. That was a brilliant. Man. A lot of, lot of <laughs> yeah. time in the cemetery, and I was like, who? There was a little production thought in that shot. <laughs> it sounded like something you would predict, it, but except that came up before he talked about the nursing home. Deaths. Yeah, that was yeah. the confusing the, part. The it was after, was, it was was after that. He got there, but it kind of was like I'm like all my family was in New Jersey. And I was thinking, like, did they all like? Are they all dead, or are they? Hey, the anyway, government, the government I, killed. I thought it was a new version of Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> but that's that's what's so crazy. Trucker, about this. trucker version, <laughs> trucker series. If you're the uh, the opposition and you see something like this happen, yeah. you would think, oh, man, we really got to go check our messaging. Like, how bad have we been in this? Right. But that's not what they're doing. They're doubling down and saying, oh, this is yeah. another. Yeah. I don't know how this screams white supremacy, but give them a second, they'll figure out. Yeah. Maybe the Harley. It's the, the Harley. Harley. It's the Harley. It it's the Harley. But, yeah. I, but I think there's two things here. One is, if it's this simple, then we really, it's not shame on the other side, it's shame on us. Because that means that we haven't been engaging the way that we need to if it's this simple. You know, Joseph back home, we've talked to him before. He's a, he's a good friend of ours on the show. He says, look, if we can just get Christians to spend 10 minutes a year, a year, just doing some basic things Ten in politics. 10 minutes. A year. The whole landscape of politics would be completely different. He was in Washington State for about a decade um, yeah. working for Family Policy Alliance, I think it was, and just trying to get Christians to be educated and know when there were elections in, in, in situations like it to, to vote. And he said he could, he could list off multiple instances where it had everything to do with who actually showed up. Yeah, yep. that's why you know somebody got elected, city council, whatever, some kind of initiative passed, and what have you. And he said over and over again, it was just if the Christians would just show up, mm-hmm. it would have been it w- there would have been a completely different story. So what you and, need to do is you need to run when like you know um, alcohol's on the ballot or something like deregulating alcohol, and you get a bunch of people to show up. <laughs> that's that's, that's kind of what he was saying. Yeah, well, he's like if you connected actually. But he ballot but to he was, the election. He said it wasn't even that complicated. Yeah. I mean, it was. He was just saying, like, just show up, just show. And 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 his issue over and over again was that it was white evangelicals that wouldn't. Like he had the hardest time getting white evangelicals because yeah. they were like, well, we don't want to be political, and you know, the churches didn't want them, and all that kind of thing. And it was. He said it was oftentimes immigrants and my, minorities um, that would actually be like, come on in, tell us what's going on, and we'll show up. Um, and frequently, it was because they knew what it was like to be oppressed. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, one of the things we have to say about this is this ad wasn't what won that campaign for him. Yeah. Biden did. Mm. It's, you know, th- this would never have worked in another year. Mm. But the fact that this guy had yeah. been in the New Jersey Senate longer than any legislator in New Jersey history, right. that he was the president of the Senate, that everybody is annoyed at the Democrats for... Uh, for CRT, for uh, Afghanistan, uh, taxes were a big thing yeah. in Jersey. Yeah. They don't want to see tax increase because they're already taxed up to their earlobes. Yes, it's all of those COVID things that actually yeah. and, made and the lockdown shutdowns, the, lockdown yeah, the stuff. COVID lockdown. I saw all of this. I saw tweets being shared about the Virginia election, and there were there were people on Twitter saying, "I'm a lifelong Democrat. Um, I'm pro-choice, but I'm voting for um, Yunkin because." Uh, I'm I'm sick and tired of the shutdowns. So, I mean that that was you know that's that's been done. Uh, yeah. I mean that that's happening in Virginia, and I'm sure it's so. happening as well uh, in New Jersey. Well, 
Oh, that's, that's all? No, that's scary. Yeah, that's well, well. We'll have more. We have another segment or two, you know. Uh, but okay. maybe we'll four. Go, maybe what? <laughs> yeah, nobody told me know. about the four no, segment. We are Trinitarian. Yeah. <laughs> um. We'll, when we come back, we're going to talk to uh the good Reverend Bishop Pastor. Do- Do- I just put them all in there. Uh, Tom Wiley, Bobadil, the house of Tom Bobadil. Man, this is series. This Come is book on. three in the this, series. This guy wasn't even like a main character. <laughs> <laughs> or was he? Next. Across politics. <laughs> Hi, I'm Robert Borton, CEO of Classical Conversations. Our most precious commodity is time. No one has ever lied on their deathbed wishing they had spent more time making money. They all wish they had spent more time creating a legacy. Our modern education system steals that legacy, steals that time from our children. That's why I'm passionate about homeschooling. That's why at Classical Conversations, we wanna give you more time to create that legacy, follow your passions, and glorify God. Visit classicalconversations.com for more information. Boy. Yes, sir. Oh, boy. It's one of those shows. Got a hee Yep. Hey, welcome back to Cross Politics on the Fight Life East Network. Thank you for joining us. We are grateful to have the podcast yeah. in the house. I've been waiting for this. I really have. A long time. Yes. yes. Me too, actually. This, this, this is every week together. Every week? You got to use your microphone, man. That's right. We can do this every week. There we go. There we go. Don't play with me. I I don't know if we can do this every week. Keep not using that mic. I'm not going to ask you back. Hey, this segment's brought to you by Cornerstone Work and Worldview Institute. Did you know that more than 75% of those raised in evangelical Presbyterian Reformed churches don't pursue any kind of Christian higher education? Uh, They say surprising, isn't it? I'm going to say, <laughs> given the state of our country, no, I'm not surprised. <laughs> uh, it makes sense. Uh, Cornerstone Work and Worldview Institute is seeking to provide a new, exciting, and affordable option for Christians. Their mission is to build kingdom culture in the workplace by equipping students in a Trinitarian worldview and vocational competencies. I really love that combo. Trinitarian worldview and vocational competencies. The low-cost full-time program offers integrative course modules, internships, and mentoring so students can finish debt-free win with vocational preparation, a robust faith, and financial potential to build strong, godly families and homes rooted in their communities and churches long-term. The program is offered face-to-face in beautiful Southern Illinois, or remotely anywhere you are, visit the website at cornerstonework.org. I feel like Chris is like, you teach there or you own this or something. That's right. This is actually mine. No, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I've heard of it. Sounds great. Sounds yeah. great. Yeah. Um, so uh, in the house of Tom Bombadil, speaking of houses yeah. and and, uh, and being men of the house and, 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 and having a war for the cosmos. And not main characters. And... Tom Bombadil. Tom Bombadil. This is the third book. It's of all the about Tom. I, I don't think people get it. I think it, no. it really well, is Gabe, all Gabe about Tom. Gabe doesn't get it. <laughs> He's this obscure character that just pops up in like two and a half chapters, and you wrote a whole book on him. Well, he took over the story. Ooh, there you go. How did he do it? How did he take over the whole story? Well, actually, he's actually he's he's actually uh, appears in, at different points in the book in terms of being referred to. Mm-hmm. So he's he's actually referred to at certain points in the story that are pretty important. Yeah. So it it, it yeah his his uh, kind of the the thing that Tolkien was doing with him. Uh, first of all, Tolkien said that he was up to something with him. Uh-huh. So he he admits like in some of his letters or yeah, some, some of, of yep. his letters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he says, uh, and then he also told tell told the person he was writing to that he was intentionally um, obscure or um, 
you know, he was he was not trying to be explicit with what he was doing. He uh-huh. was it, enigmatic. That was uh-huh. the term he used, the word he used. Mm-hmm. So Tom is an enigma. And an, an enigma is something. Is that it kind of like you, Melchizedek? Yeah, it gets you thinking. You know, not, you know, a, like, not a, not yeah. a main character, but kind of reference. Yeah, kind of so like, 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 who is this guy? Uh-huh. You know, he steps into the story. Like Melchizedek, he steps into the story. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wow, this guy is pretty significant. And then he steps out again. So... Yeah, there's a lot going on with uh, Bob Dylan in those chapters, but also throughout the rest of the book. Okay. So I want to take this back, though, because this is so th- I didn't know that this is a series. Th- but I realized that as I start reading, there's house here, there's house there, man of the house. It's West a trilogy, the- baby. OK. <laughs> Household in the war for the cosmos. Yeah, I didn't see it coming. <laughs> yeah. But if you put the books right next to each other, they look nothing alike. Yes, yeah, right. The, the genius, of it. right? <laughs> but I did see that as I was reading to the House of the World for the Cosmos that you know you started with Man of the House, and you're kind of structuring Man in this particular way. And by the time you bring in the War in the House for the Cosmos, no, 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 Household in the War for the Cosmos. House, household. You said it really great. I, I like, I like, I like the I War in the, the house, house, house of the Cosmos. Well, yeah. Most homes are a, a war. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> don't Google that; you won't find the book. Um, but and now you have Tom Bombadil. Uh, the House of Tom Bombadil. When you start, we were talking to this about a little, a, a little bit, and I don't know who Bombadil is at all. I didn't. G- Gabe's read more Tolkien than I have. I just saw the movies, so <laughs> and he never popped up and, in the movies, right, and exactly. he's not in the movie. So why t- take this particular person and start working that into your series of books? Yeah, well. You know, you can't do everything. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm going to stop you. It's going to have to flip the other way because, it, yeah, it's not across the top. It's actually going to be have to be, yeah. Oh, like that, oh. right? Yes, right. sir. Okay. Like a rapper. Ooh, that's, like, that's, that's, right. Right. that's that preacher. That's right. It's like a Pentecostal preacher. That's, that's, that's right. <laughs> Come on now. That's right. But, uh, yeah, so with each of the books, you know, I'm doing, I'm up to something different. And uh, in the first book, I was essentially, you know, trying to do one thing. The second book, a different thing. Third book was uh, intended to address some things that I wanted to talk about but hadn't gotten to, but I think are really important. And uh, really, when it comes to the theme of my book on Bombadil, it's about dominion, what uh, genuine dominion looks like. Hmm. So I'll leave it with that. Well, that was a really uh, no, you gotta short tell me. interview. So we're in. <laughs> it really was. It was so like, I'm done. I'm done. So. <laughs> well, where do we, where do people buy the book at? So, so you can buy why, wherever better books are sold. Why okay. use Tom Bombadil to represent that character regarding Dominion? Because it actually comes up. <laughs> yeah, well, well like illustrate it for me. <laughs> well, okay. like I, so, so, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm like Knox. I missed Bombadil. So okay, so, I missed it. So I saw the if, ring. The but, ring went in there, and then like that was it. But but you, you've not read the books. <laughs> well, oh no, I've read them. I've read okay, them. Okay, so yeah, like yeah. if you recall, and the movies. Well, if you recall in the books, everybody is wondering who is Bombadil. Right. Yeah. You know, so Frodo asks, "Who are you?" You know, he asks his wife Goldberry, "Who is he?" He yeah. asks Bombadil, "Who are you?" And then throughout the, the 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 story, you know, you don't really get a very clear idea who this guy is. But what you learn is he may be the most powerful creature in Middle Earth. Oh, do you explain? Yeah, well, he, he there's this particular point in the story. Everybody's intimidated by the ring, right? Yeah. So everybody who's good doesn't want to be corrupted by the ring. Right. Right. They don't even want to touch it. Gandalf doesn't want to touch it. Galadriel doesn't want to touch it. Elrod doesn't want to touch it. Yeah, right. Aragorn could have taken it at any time and never even tried. Right. 
but anybody who you know is evil wants it. And people who want to use the ring, f- even for things that they think are good, like Boromir, yeah. are tempted and they're corrupted by it. Right. And even in the end, Frodo, who's you know the the best of hobbits, he is d- he is corrupted by the ring at the very end. He doesn't actually voluntarily throw the ring into Mount Doom. Right. Right. You know, the reason is that it gets into Mount Doom is some is is someone who's been even corrupted more than he has, Gollum. Bites his ha- his finger off and yeah. takes the ring. Uh-huh. Actually, there's there's another interesting point there. Earlier on, Gollum Frodo talked to Gollum and said, "If you try to touch me again, and it's actually the ring speaking, I will command you to, uh, I will put it on and command you to throw yourself into the fire." Yeah. And he does. And yeah. so the ring actually cr- caused its own destruction. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of fun stuff going on, but. When they're in the House of Tom Bombadil, there's actually a chapter in the Fellowship of the Ring titled In the House of Tom Bombadil. And while they're there, they're, you know, spending time with Tom, and Tom is telling them stories. They're having a great time sitting at the table eating and stuff like that. And Tom just looks at Frodo and says, show me the precious ring. Mm-hmm. So Tom, you know. Just so, like that, too. Just, just like, like that, that too. Just, right? oh, yeah, just, yeah. Can so, you do it again for me? Show me the precious ring. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it was not you were Tom Bombadil. <laughs> he actually says it though in kind of a humorous way. I was okay, sort of uh, like in a menacing way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But works. anyway, so so Frodo doesn't even hesitate. He just pulls the ring out and just hands it over the top. Yeah, and that never happens in any other part no, of the story. Every that time, never happens. Yeah, and any other point in the story where 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 Frodo has to produce the ring, he's reticent. He doesn't want anybody to see it. He wants to right. keep it to himself. Right. Anyway, he hands it right over to him, and Frodo's like surprised that he did that. And then Tom picks up the ring, puts it to his eye. <laughs> kind of makes fun of it. Yeah. yeah. He, then he puts it on his little finger, mm-hmm. and, and Tolkien makes a point of saying it was his little finger. Uh-huh. And then he just he doesn't disappear. Yeah. And wow. he just looks at the he just looks at them and, and laughs. And then he flips the ring into the air and makes it disappear. He made the ring disappear. Wow. And then like an uncle at, a, at like you know like after dinner he pulls it out. So here you go, Frodo. Damn so that. so Tom is actually Edward Durr. <laughs> so wait, wait. He is that awesome. Okay. He's a badass. <laughs> he, so, he made this uh, president senate disappear. <laughs> so what does it have to do with Dominion? Well, at the point in the story where Frodo asks his wife, Goldberry, she says, Who is Tom Bombadil? And she just looks at him and says, He is. Stop. Full stop. He is as you have seen him. And then Frodo's like puzzled by... Looking like me right now. Yeah, (laughs) just like... And then she says, he is the master. That's it. He's the master of wood. So is this is this a like a father Christ, uh, you know, a, so, a figure, a type of God? Um, what's going well, on? Well, there's been a lot of people who have speculated that on that statement. He is thinking yeah, about I am Moses. Who I am. Yep. Yep. Uh-huh. But yeah, uh, Tolkien actually denied that. Okay. Because pe- that was something that other people had suggested. That is this a Luvatar? Is this the creator? Uh-huh. And, Tol- and Tolkien said no, no. So I read an article. You talk a little bit about the book, and you said that. Tom Bombadil was powerful because he knew how the world was made and he knew the songs right. of the time. Right. Well, if you think about, if you if you know the Legendarium, which is the enormous backstory to Lord of the Rings, it includes the creation story. And in the creation story, the world of Middle-earth is sung, sung into, into yeah. being. Oh. It's one of the most oh. beautiful <laughs> texts. 
telling. It's in the Silmarillion. Eat that mic. Eat that mic. In the Silmarillion. Oh, both of y'all have this booming voice, and you're not even using it. I don't have that kind of voice. I have to make mine deeper. So anyway, anytime that Tom is kind of on the scene, he's singing, or at least he sounds like he's singing, because even his, even just talking has kind of got a lyrical quality to it. Sing-songy. Yeah, and then he delivers them first from Old Man Willow, which is a tree. He delivers him the second time from the Barrow White in mm-hmm. a tomb. Yes. Tree. Tomb. Tree of knowledge of good and evil. Tree tomb. tomb. Tree tomb. Yeah. Come oh, on, yeah. come, come on, on now. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you preaching now. Come on. Now, I don't want to make too much of that. That could be just a coincidence. No. There's nothing in, no. There's no. Nothing in Tolkien. <laughs> I don't think so. But there's nothing in Tolkien where he says, that's what I meant. But it's, it is odd that yeah. those are the two. And the situation with the Barrow White, when he saves them, so there's a Barrow White, which is like a, like a spirit that inhabits a tomb. And all of the hobbits have been captured by the Barrowway, and they're they're about to be killed. They're they're laying they're in their grave clothes. They're about to be, have their heads chopped off. So there's a there's actually a hand that's creeping up. Like you remember thing from the yeah. book? Oh yeah, <laughs> remember the thing from the Adams family? It was kind of yeah. like that. It's coming it's got, and it's it's coming for the sword. Chop off their heads, uh-huh. and that that moment, Frodo remembers the little the little rhyme that Tom had taught them. Yes, to save them if they found themselves in trouble. So he remembers that. And he he's just kind of croaks it out. Next thing you know, you hear Tom coming, and the rocks start rolling away from the tomb. Another interesting Ooh. phenomenon: the rocks are falling, <laughs> are rolling away from the tomb. And then it's it's mm. it's the sun is coming up, so oh. it's dawn. Yes. And then Tom's Easter head, Sunday, it's Tom's head pops in. Yeah. <laughs> says, Which is on. how Jesus did it, you know. He's like, "Hey, I rose again." I rose and then they, again. they all come out and they're just happy and running around, and it's great, great story. But anyway, but there are there are certain things about Tom that if you understand kind of what Tolkien was into, what his 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 interests in, intellectually were, you can see all sorts of stuff in Tom. Well, in the generally in Lord of the Rings, generally, but in Tom in particular that tell you that Tom, or that uh, Tolkien is up to some stuff with, with Tom. Chris, have you, have you given much thought, or do you address this in your book at all, to the placement of Tom Bombadil so early in the story? Yeah. Because yeah. it, it is striking that you have all that, and then it's like, and then it... Chaos everywhere. And then it just yeah. sort and then it, it fades, and it's in the background of everything. Yeah. Right. Um, what, what's, what's up with that? Well, uh, I have a friend, uh, Rachel Fulton Brown. She teaches at the University of Chicago, and we've had her on the show on the podcast. Okay. And uh, Rachel talked a lot about how she thought that that particular episode with Tom was kind of like their catechesis mm-hmm. into the meaning of Middle Earth, because there are all sorts of things going on as he's with them and talking to them. Yeah. And there's a there's a kind of uh, baptism kind of imagery of you know in the background with with Goldberry and the and the Rain Day and all that kind of stuff. Mm. But anyway. If you want to know more, buy the book. <laughs> but anyway, Rachel is a great resource. Uh, Rachel Fulton Brown. I mean, by they, the way, Rachel would be a great person on cross pollen. Okay, okay. We'll reach out, Rachel. Either they do get their weapons in the in the barrow, right? They, in the barrow, that's where they. Um, that's where they get their swords that then they carry for the rest of the 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 story. I right, mean, all the way to the very end um, in the in the cleansing of the Shire. Right, it's like um, the apostles got their swords, which um, which you wouldn't know about. And these are these the are book. swords from the uttermost, uh, not from yeah. the uttermost west, but for the men of the west. Right. These are the swords yeah. of Westernese. Yeah. Right. So these are you know the ancestors of Aragorn. Yes, and the swords that they made, right. which have spells cast right. on them to to uh, 
to to uh, thwart the the you know the the, uh, the evil right. uh, of you know right. the, the witch king of Angmar, who by the way is the lord of the Nazgul. I, I got to tell you guys, this has been interesting. I think Nate Wilson, when I first met him, one of the things he said is like. You know, I'm thinking we need more Christian um, apologists. I think we need more Christian this, that, the other thing. And he says, no, we need more good Christian fiction. And one of the things I have to say about the Theology Podcast is that you guys have really helped me understand just how magical and how amazing God's world is by the very high and deep philosophical conversations that you guys have. You really bring it down and I get to understand it. But it, it, I, I get to understand it in a way that I can apply it immediately to life. And I just want to thank you guys for doing yeah. that. So yeah. I want to ask this question, but we're going to have to save it to the next thing. I want you guys to think about it while we go to break. Um, I want to ask you guys, what are the songs that we've forgotten Ooh. that we need to learn again and start learning how to sing? What are those songs? And along with that... Let's go, Brandon. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! Well, we got Gabe's answer. So, uh, the, and the other thing is, what you know, um, Alexander Schultzenitzen said, "Live not by lies." And we had a chance to talk to um, Rod Dreer recently, and reading his book, he does a good job of explaining uh, in his book, "Live Not by Lies," what it means not to live by li live, live not to live by lies, which is you just don't obey the things that you know aren't true, which would seem very simple, but it's not. Uh, everybody put on a mask. We've had science about masks for years, and yep. everybody put it on. Everybody knows the government doesn't teach you how to raise your kid. Everybody knows these things, but they're living by these lies. And I want to ask you guys, what are some of the lies that you think that we're living by that we don't even know? So we know some of the basic things, but there's other lies that are foundational lies that open up the rest of everything else of, of where we're at. So I want to ask you guys, when we yeah, come back That's from a the big, break, question. big question. Those two things. What are the songs, and what are the lies? More cross politic coming up next. I'm excited. I want to. I want to be part of that segment. Welcome back to Cross Politic. This is the third segment. So we got a little uh, Glenn Rangy. Oh, nice. Glenn Rangy, 12 year. In honor of yep. Dr. Glenn Sunshine. Sherry Cass <laughs> finish. Wait, so is our second mm -hmm. segment like, is that like the Baptist segment of Cross Politic? No. <laughs> you know. Well, it's on NRB TV, so we got to kind of, mm. you know. But this this is the Presbyterian segment <laughs> that all the Baptists come to anyway. They're like, what are they doing? They're in the hall. <laughs> you, you've heard that you've heard the joke about uh, you know the difference between a Baptist and the liquor store and the and the Presbyterian and the liquor store. Right? No. Yeah. The the the, ba the Baptist uh, what makes a Baptist different from the Presbyterian is the Presbyterian says hi. Okay. Uh. Well, that, that's actually true. I tell you which one you need to get. Oh, try this one right here. <laughs> The Baptist just says, like, I'm with the state liquor license facility. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I, have, oh. I have a real story with that. Went to a little new pub in Raleigh when I lived there and with some friends that went to the Independent Baptist Church. And lo and behold, one of the members was coming out when he was coming in. He didn't care. But the, the person in the Independent Baptist Church came up and said, they got a great hamburger here. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Uh -huh. I bet they do. I bet they do. Let me guess what it's called, a beer burger. Huh? <laughs> 
That's funny. Oh, uh, so you asked them a couple of questions. And yeah. I don't know what I kind of loaded it up. I did load it up, but I think songs I, probably, and yeah, lies. Yeah, the songs of Tom Bombadil. What are, so what are the songs that you know? It seems like, and you mean that like broadly? Like I, think, I do the mean stories, that. Stories, the stories, the yeah. But there, there was you know even growing up, I remember there were a lot of people that I grew up with that weren't necessarily as theologically rich as I currently consider myself to be, um, <laughs> but were some some of the most faithful Christians you could ever be around. And they used to hum songs that, mm. you know, would you would hear it permeate the house and the culture that we were in, and you could tell that that song was the thing that anchored them in the world in such a way that you weren't going to move them. Mm-hmm. And I, that's something that I think is gone right now is that kind of, you know, we, we, we got our theology all good and worked out and we've all become Gnostic and we don't have any songs anymore that are attaching us to the world that God made. And so what are some of the songs that you guys see in the culture? I'm, I'm doing that broadly that we've forgotten as Christians that we need to start figuring out how to sing again. The place I would go right away is with the old spirituals. Mm. Mm. I've been to a lot of concerts, a lot of Christian concerts the only one I've been to that I felt like was a real worship experience was a choir that specialized in spirituals. Mm. And there is, it's certainly not sophisticated theology in a lot of ways, but there's a depth of reality um, in the experiences that created those spirituals that I think is completely lacking in the kind of superficial feel-good stuff that we Mm -hmm. get on Christian radio. I don't know, that worship leader that wrote that song in 15 minutes... Well, and, and you know, and so you actually took the. Know. Let me broaden this out too, because in his skinny jeans, <laughs> yeah, he's, la, he's, la, he's la, super la, authentic. La, la. He's been through so much. Yeah, but I, so when I mean, I mean, just pulling those pants on was kind of that was a hard. That was a hard morning. That's right. That was a yeah. near death experience right? <laughs> for all of us. <laughs> so, but also, when I, I mean, songs, literal songs too. But also, I think mean that in the way that we do life. You know, yeah. well, yeah. Uh, you know, I know exact. I think I know what you're getting at, Knox. I, you know, a song that has always been very profound uh, and rich for me is "God Moves in a Mysterious Way." Yeah, mm-hmm. you know that that song. First of all, written by a guy named William Cooper, who struggled with depression yeah. his entire life. Uh, he would have been considered suicidal. He spent some time in a, an insane asylum, um, and uh, so that that uh, that song was written in the midst of a you know a really dark place he was in. So he was in the valley, and I remember one time we uh, I had my wife and I brought a young woman to church with us whose husband had deserted her, just like within like a week or two before we took her to church with us, mm. and we didn't know what we were going to be singing in church that day, but but that was the, one of the hymns that we we sang, and she spent the rest of the service just looking at that hymn. Huh. She had just she had never encountered it before. It was not part of her her background at all. But that just it just overwhelmed her how how profound that song is. Tom, yeah, I think I I'm gonna take the hunch that you meant a little more than song when you mentioned song right there. Mm. More widely, but I think early yeah. on you think about the early church. Most of its doctrinal content was carried on through song, mm-hmm. not just in a didactic way, but in a worship way. The Christology texts that we have developed, our doctrine of Christ, come right out of songs, hymns. Mm-hmm. So the intimacy between worship, doctrine, and life 
for early Christians was completely interwoven. There wasn't a, a bracketing out of our music as the taste that we have or something that, you know, is what makes us feel good so much as we were wholly participants in this body of Christ and, and orienting our whole life towards um, eternity in Christ. And because of that, I think the aesthetic was different. What do I mean by that? The sense of, of mm. spiritual beauty and what was of utmost significance radiated the early church communities that, that in suffering, they could count it all joy. Mm -hmm. um, it, and, uh, but then you have, you know, a suffering church is one that tends to also um, bring forth a depth of spirituality in the music that I think uh, is missing because, especially in the Western's current places hasn't suffered much mm -hmm. so that depth of connection both to god and other things sometimes it doesn't mean you have to suffer to 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 commune with god or see the beauty mm -hmm. and the interconnected with it interconnectedness with it but on the other hand there it does seem to go so, something hand in hand with utmost dependence on and putting one's whole life completely in the hands of god and the springing forth of 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 depth with song mm. Well, I'd, I'd, to add to this, you know, David was, he was a songwriter before he was a warrior. He was a songwriter before he was a king. Um, you know, he'd learn um, uh, who, how to live as a king um, by writing uh, psalms. Right. You know, when, um, uh, when Jesus, uh, you know, we're coming up on Christmas, and you think of all the music that was created around the time mm -hmm. of Christ's birth, uh, Mary's the Magnificent, um, right. uh, Simeon's uh, prophecy, right. um, Zacharias's after Zacharias. Yep. Zacharias, after he was um, not able to speak for nine months, the first thing out of his mouth was a song. Yeah, um, mm -hmm. and, and my my kids were actually just talking about this last night. Um, we were talking about uh, it is well, the song it is well. Yeah, um, wasn't my daughter Vita brought this up, and I and it, I remembered um, that wasn't that song written. That the the guy who wrote it, his kids and wife had died on a, a boat, or there's a boat wreck, or something. There's yeah, some sort of major, I think so, catastrophe where the whole family died. Right. And his response was, "It is well, right, right, like super powerful, right." And 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 just showed you know the depth of who God is, even in tragedy. Um, in in his response, it as well. Yeah. You know, were you gonna say something? I don't want to miss out anything you gonna say. Well, I was gonna say, notice the connection with all of this. I'm sorry, I got, you got to flip it up. Especially the Magnificat and, and other episodes is is the more one is about to encounter God in this sense, the the creation's response is to voice praise and to sing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think singing is, and maybe this is what Tolkien was on to as well with the creation story, is creation's response proper response of gratitude, thankfulness, but it's also the way in which we sometimes commune in some of the deepest levels as a response mm -hmm. to, to encountering God in profound ways. And I, and I really think that that kind of, one way of putting it, you say, where'd the loss go? I think oftentimes because of the de-emphasis on the gift of creation and what being a creature is, we've also detached from what, what mm. singing is in, in relationship to the Augustine creator. Augustine said, he who sings prays twice. Mm. <laughs> yeah, right. So let me broaden this out, and, and maybe you guys jump on here anywhere you want to on here. Part of this too is I'm thinking of we've lost some of the songs of fatherhood. Um, I know, of not having had a father, watching men be good fathers to me is like a good song. Mm -hmm. 
And so when I see them be fathers, I'm like, I want to learn that song. I want to learn how to sing like that. You know, that was one of the things that I fell in love with, with the brothers here, was watching them, how they dance with their kids and discipline their kids. And then it felt like it was musical. It had a rhythm to it. It had a beat to it. And I was like, I like this beat. I like this song. And I knew that I didn't know that song as well. And so when I saw them singing, I'm like, I want to sing that song. And then I saw the same song happen with their wives in relationship to them. I'm like, wow. I won't tell the story, but I was at somebody's house and I was watching. Um, one of the ladies was kind of getting snappy and, and the husband just came by and put his hand on her shoulder and just rubbed her back. And, and she just, ah, and woosahed. And I just, you know. And so, it, so that's how it's done. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that man was full of the Holy Ghost. Do we need to talk afterwards? Hi, Mr. Price. Price. And, you know, <laughs> sometimes some of these spirits only come out through prayer and fasting. You know what I mean? So I can tell that man was full of the Holy Ghost. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but he, he knew the song. And so I think there's, so when those, so some of the songs that I'm saying, man, we don't, and, or engagement, I watch, and this is really beautiful. When um, Gabe was arrested and two other members were arrested and a few other members of Christ Church were cited here in Moscow, it happened while singing was happening. And I, in my, so for I came from, I'm a Minneapolis guy. Y'all know what happened in Minneapolis, right? Mm -hmm. They towed things down. <laughs> if they tried to arrest them, they tow it down. You gonna arrest us? We'll burn down your Target. We'll take the cub food. Well, your streets won't have gravel anymore. We will rip this gravel up. Do you understand me? You understand? Okay, just as long as you know, this is gonna go down. So when it happened with Gabe, in my flesh, Minneapolis kicked in. Oh, no. Let me tell you what you're not going to do. <laughs> you know, what you're not going to do is arrest his brother. And, and I watch Christians sing more and harder, stronger and harder, asking God to intervene in the moment. And it was only through the singing in that moment that my flesh was suppressed and said, God, you need to be the one to vindicate us right now. You have to be the one. And so, anyway, I'm learning in being a community some of these songs that are directly connected to real world application that aren't just in my head. And so those are the songs that I'm like, okay, man, we're missing out on some of these songs so that when trials and troubles hit, we want to act out in our flesh when it's like, but. One of the other things going on in all this is, and what Tolkien is drawing off of and is, an, is this older medieval um, understanding um, that the whole, whole universe is God's song. That it, the fact that it's all held together by the word. Mm. Yeah. Um, that, that word is Christ. That word is the word that spoke creation into existence. It's the word that holds all things together and upholds wow. them all. But it's, um, it's, a, it's a word, it's the word that, you know, again, is, is the, um, has the music of the, the fullness of the spirit. Yeah, it. yeah. Um, and so um, older, you know, the, the medieval um, picture of, of the universe, though, was one, you know, they, they'll speak of the music of the spheres. Right. That the whole universe has, it, it, it really has a harmony. And so our lives are meant to be lived in harmony and in rhythm with the song that God is singing mm. in the in the universe, mm. and, and we all have a part to play. Um, and, you know, uh, Dante's... Um, um, uh, divine comedy is, is sort of the famous um, kind of archetype or the uh, the pinnacle of that um, picture. Did they the, make a movie of that too, so I can watch that because I haven't read it. No, I, I think they'd ruin it. But but, but, the whole, but the whole it actually goes farther than that. <clears throat> Excuse me. It actually goes farther than that. Music was literally in the medieval mind the glue that held everything in the universe together. Right. It's the music of the spheres, but it's also the thing. Well, think about your heart. 
beat. It's a rhythm. Right. Your your breathing is a rhythm. Right. All of these things. Yes. Music was the the thing that governed everything right. that happened in the universe. Right. And and so the whole idea though of singing was in some sense to more, sort of actively join the chorus and all jo- creation. Jo- join creation, join the song, but then but the idea though is is if your heart is beating to that rhythm in a, in a way and your breath is it, it's like your whole life though is supposed to be uh, lived uh, in harmony. That's interesting. With, with, um, and, and so, and so you're, um, there's a, you know, you're talking about Tom Bombadil. He, he kind of, I mean, everything he says is kind of got this rhythmic y, um, uh, uh, sing songy um, uh, intonation to it. And, um, and that's, I think, part of the point is that he is in tune with the, the nature of reality, the nature of the universe. He knows the song of the universe. And he knows the songs that are, you know, appropriate for a tree. Yes. <laughs> he uh, knows the song that's appropriate for a barrel white. Uh-huh. Yes. But uh, getting back to this idea that you just brought up, Knox, about a father and his role, there's a part that only a father can sing. Mm-hmm. Mm. There's a part that only a mother can sing. That's right. If a mother tries to sing the father's part, she kind of sounds odd. If he tries to sing her part, he sounds odd because we're not made to sing each other's parts. We're made to sing the part that we have. There's a there's a role that we have as fathers in the lives of our children. There's a role that we have as husbands in the lives of our wives. Mm-hmm. And what you described with the, putting the hand on the shoulder and calming down, all of that has to do with knowing how to sing your song mm-hmm. mm. and, and being able to sing it to your wife or your children. Mm. You were, you grabbing us. Well, that, com- that comes down to knowing natures and purposes. Right. And, and and another way of putting it is, is song, the reason song is at the heart of everything is because it is one of these ways that holds together the way that being a creature, uh, the best definition, Christian theological definition of what it means to be, be um, a creature ordered towards God is truthful enactment of your creatureliness, mm-hmm. to truthfully enact what you are created to be and do. Come on now. And so, yeah. and if you think about it, it's an ordered life. Right. And, and that ordering is connected to those harmonies right. and the logos. That's what that music, that music is. is yeah. And that's why is. music itself, and, and then you see some of the developments of music, it starts with, with one kind of thing, a, a rhythm or a melody or an idea, and it starts to add different layers to it. But what makes it work is the harmonizing of all those elements and they're ordering the right way. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, we, we don't have a lot of time for this, but I, I, I really want to get yeah, to it. Yeah, we do. We still we got do? Like, we we got got like, Oh, good. Okay, yeah, I like, like it. All right. Well, in that yeah. case, come on, let's get to it. Um, I, you know, living not by lies. I, I think the lies that people see, they, they don't want to live by, right? They, they see them, they're very obvious, like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to live by those. But what are some of the lies you guys see right now happening, probably in the last two years, that people don't see. Oh, that I'm going to just jump in. Oh, do it. Uh, and then they can chime in yeah, too. Yeah. But, but like, but what they just said—that's what I would say. Um, I don't. I don't want to. You know, people don't see the fact that your calling to be a man is a, is a calling to tell the truth about the nature of the universe and your nature that God gave you. That's your part to sing. Mm. And when you, you say, "I don't want to be a man," or "I don't want to be a husband," or "I don't want to be a father," I don't want to sing that part truthfully. I mean, you know, and the same thing goes for a woman. I don't want to be a woman. I don't want to be a mother. I don't want to be a wife. Um, I think those are some of the really big places where people, it's like, yeah, I don't want to tell lies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But but I want to mess with my nature. Yeah. I want to deny what, who God made me to be. Isn't, isn't Within there, the church, what we see happening is people 
have bought into the lie of what it means to love someone. Yes. Mm. What it means to love someone is to affirm whatever it is that they say. Right. That's not love. No. No. Right. So I mean, if they're, if, they're, if they're lying about what they're doing or what they, you know, what they say makes them feel right or feel good or, you know, really who they are. If they're lying, though, it's not love to affirm the lie. Right. And one element, I'm just, you guys just got me thinking about like um, lies and music. Isn't it, isn't there something to it where singing is a stronger way of talking about things? You know, so it's, it's, um, let's go back to the Augustine quote. Um, right. praying twice yeah um, right. I, I think i think right. i think luther said something similar about like you say it twice or something like you, know, you underline it if you sing it i think that's exactly right mm-hmm. go ahead you, were you is that all you're gonna say oh, well and i think that's also why our culture i mean it's not like our music does have lies in it you got cardi b wop you got stuff you got lies in music but i think a culture that um is full of lies is one reason why music's so bad because you don't you don't want to sing the, it's harder to sing the lies it's one thing to say the lie, but then when you start singing it, well, I it think seems like it kind of ups the ante of what you're the kind of condemnation you're trying to bring on yourself. You know, this is what um, the good bishop over here was saying earlier. Though Tom had songs for certain situations. One of the things that we figured out in church is we don't our culture doesn't have church songs. What they have is the same stuff that they sing anywhere else. There's nothing sanctified about it. There's nothing yeah. set apart about it. Right. You know, this is this is the. The lie that I think that's been permeating is the lack of um, understanding that the Old Testament is applying itself still today. God's word of the Old Testament still applies. There is something that is holy about worship. Yeah. There is something that is holy about how we do worship. First Corinth, uh, was it uh, Hebrews 10 talks about the diverse baptism. Nothing was used in worship that wasn't baptized. Yeah. It was set apart and sanctified. And all of our music has how- one vein and one lane. And we try and take this music over here and put in music. That's yeah. not that's not it. And, it, you know, speaking of sanctified, I just have to bring it up. One of the things that bothered me about the Virginia setup was they did a video um kamala harris did you guys see that video she did she did a video for 300 black churches churches. yes not just churches black churches she didn't let it go into white churches (laughs) no because that's not where they needed to vote oh they needed those black folks because they was losing them and so she knew the white folk were already gonna vote democrat no 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 no. she knew the white folks wasn't gonna vote period oh Like we talked about earlier, at least the Christians. But they, and she did this video saying that you need to go out and vote for McAuliffe. And now, now the video is bad enough, but the fact that she did it so that it was presented in the middle of church, church. service, yeah. so that she is being on par with the Word of God. Right. It's no wonder why our culture is where it's at right now. Nothing is sanctified. And I don't care if it was in a conservative church or a liberal church. It doesn't matter. I get just as mad as Jeffers. What's his name? Robert Robert. Jeffers? Having these uh, Fourth of July church services where it's like rah, rah, America. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is a rah, rah, Jesus moment. You understand that? This is all about Jesus. And and let's not say rah, rah. Jesus. No, okay. Uh, I mean, no, what I mean, no, no, what no, but, I, no, but I, I agree. Point taken. <laughs> so, Don't ride ride so Jesus. I want to get back to like, what are the lies yeah. that we're believing in our culture right now? The culture of the church, the biggest lie is its current understanding of God. Hmm. That's kind of a I big think, problem. I think that's the bi- one of the biggest lies. It's the belief that God is, is the biggest thing around, the most powerful thing around, but of the same order of mm. being as just about everything else. Another way of putting it is God has been so domesticated 
brought into the household rather than the household ordered cosmologically toward the proper view of the transcendence of God. That brings everything down within a this-worldly frame of reference for everything. Uh Give me an example of that. Well, I think what you were saying, there is no no holiness. Why? Because there isn't anything distinct than the the ordinary. It's all the same. It's all the same. Or the ordinary isn't as enchanted as it truly is. We have been we we've been cut off spiritually, if you will, from the 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 full um, reality that that we're living and moving and having our being in, and then that comes all the way down to we start therefore to forge identities, not in light of what we're created to be and the relationships of marriage and right, children right. and everything else, right. but but almost fabricated or the kinds of relationships from that are the result of our loves being malformed. Mm. And so we start to, you know, we start to order our lives to find ourselves. And these were lie after lie after lie that this is who I am. So I think, you know, for me, after the doctrine of God, we, we live a lie of that. Then that there is no, no order of transcendence, that lie in culture. Um, and then the, the, what, what the nature of the human being, why we're he- what we are, why we're here, how we're to order ourselves. I mean, I think those are the places where these lies creep up over and over again, to the point where people can watch politicians lie to their face or the news lie to their mm-hmm. face, and they don't care as long as it is affirming their identity. Yeah. The yeah. lying doesn't matter. Yeah. Because what is true for them is only the reaffirmation of what they think is true about themselves, th- their identity. Well, and, and when people um, uh, lie... Um, they will inevitably believe any lie. Right. So if you practice lie, then you're, you're going to believe any lie, which is why we got transgenderism and all this. Uh, we just we're, we'll believe anything now. Fauci's mass work and all that stuff. We just believe it. Um, Glenn, what do you think is some of the lies that our cultures believe in? Well, there are within the church. There are so many. It's kind of hard to actually even begin to enumerate them. Mm. Um, one of the things, though, that I would point to is the I don't know exactly if this lands as a lie, but it's the loss of the sanctification of time. So, for example, if you go to um, a monastery, okay, go back to the Benedictine monasteries. I don't, I don't, want, it I don't says, want to. It says, it says in the book of Psalms, I will praise you seven times a day. Right. So the monks got together seven times a day right. to sing the Psalms. Right. Their prayer seven times a day was singing scripture. Right. Now, I don't advocate going back to that. But what that tells you is that their entire day, the entire rhythm of their life was organized around worship. Yeah. They worked through the entire Psalter in a week. Right. Every, wow. every week. They did all 150 Psalms. And, and seven times seven. Yeah. And they sang them. <laughs> Yeah, it's almost. It's, I don't know what you mean yeah. by that, Gabe. Forty nine. He, he means being forgiven seventy. Times. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> seven Psalms, one day, yeah, seven days a week. There, there you go. But it's, that's, 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 that's there's one hundred fifty Psalms. Yeah. Well, that's well. I was like, that's right. I was it's trying okay. to figure. I was it's trying right. to help you with the math, and I'm like, uh, how do they sing through all the Psalms in one week when it's seven times? But they don't do just one at a time. No, they'll they'll do multiple psalms at every service. Yeah, thank so. you for clarifying, Glenn. <laughs> this was just a debate. I'm try it. This I'm was between me and Toby, and I was winning up until you chimed in and you gave and gave there, and, and you gave him the loop. You know, no, but mea culpa. But, uh, <laughs> that's uh, Latin, Gabe. Um, d- but explain sanctification of time. 
So yeah, I, I mean, I was about to go. So explain that more. So I'm like, I, I'm following you, but explain it. Okay. So if you look at the monks, just yeah. to use them as the example, their entire day was structured around worship. Yeah. Everything. I mean, they told time by what monastic hour, what service yeah. is coming yeah. up. When's the next prayers? When When's the next prayers? The average Christian in America, according to a Barna survey that I read about, although I didn't find the original, prays something like two to six minutes a day. Yeah. Um, what are they doing with the rest of their time? I guarantee, well, the vast majority of them don't read their Bibles at all. Yeah. They're on Facebook. We found out we were, they're on their phones, yep. right? right. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but our, our lives, which are really time, our lives are supposed to be dedicated to God. And we don't take time alone with God, typically. We don't think about our work as being done as unto the Lord. Uh-huh. We don't view our community service, our politics, our family life, our recreation. We don't view any of that stuff as an expression of worship and thanks to God. And as a result, our life is completely unsanctified. So there's yeah. nothing holy about it. That's good. Yeah, that's, so that's good. Kind of practically what you're talking about. You know, I'll I'll never be a monk. I couldn't couldn't do it. Um, <laughs> they did brew beer, but I would stop by the monk and, and have you're, a drink with them. You're married. But don't worry. I'm married. I I just and my wife. I couldn't do it. Um, so, but kind of practically speaking, like in our in our modern times. Basically, what you're saying is like, you know, when, when you have breakfast, give thanks to God. Structure your day around, you know, I'm giving thanks at breakfast, giving thanks at lunch, giving thanks at dinner. Um, you know, maybe when you're driving in the car, pray. You, you, that's, that's practically what you're driving at. Sure. When, when I was at the university, when I was driving in, I had my own particular routine that I did. And when I drove to campus, there were a particular set of things I prayed about. When I drove home, there were a particular set of things that I prayed about. That was typically Thanksgiving primarily. <laughs> um, there are, because I was leaving. Because you were leaving. Um, <laughs> I got it. I got it. Uh, but, I got it. And, but there were also other times during the day where I would do Lectio Divina, a, a devotional practice, where I would uh, have more structured prayers, things like that. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I've, I've heard people say things like, you know, I'm glad we've got a midweek prayer service because I can't go a whole week without that shot Oof. in the arm. Yeah. I discovered I couldn't go a whole day without it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. returning regularly, uh, setting up a, your own routine, your own structure. You don't have to yeah. do the monastic hours. Set up your own routine, your own structure of prayer and time in the word because otherwise – your day is not going to be dedicated to God. It is not going to be sanctified and it is not going to accomplish that for which God created you. So push this out to like mothers, you know, who are dealing with their kids all day. How do you, um, you know, I get to drive in a car sometimes or, you know, you don't let your wife drive in the car. My horse buggy. (laughs) My strong suspicion is that mothers dealing with small children have a better idea of praying without ceasing than I do. (laughs) Bars, you know what? Oh man, that is. I want to point out though that I want to I want to combine what you said with what you said earlier, Tom, because the the um, I mean. You have to have you have to know the God you're praying to, and obviously, yeah. you know, to have that yeah. kind of dedication, you would need the Spirit driving you to the living God. But, but it's the real transcendent God, the one you were talking about. That it, that's 
where you, when you've come into the presence of that living transcendent God who is wholly other, um, that is the thing that sanctifies. So it's not the throwing the prayer up, the hail, you know, Mary. <laughs> no, no, no. Not, in any sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but, you know, but the that, football sense. But in the sense that, you know, like it, it has to be that God. It's, it's the constant communion with the inner life of the triune God. What have we been, our adopted son, being adopted sons and daughters is our union with Christ and his son, the son's relation to the Father and the Trinity. We've been invited into the inner sanctum of God's joyous eternal communion. That's why Augustine will say our heart sits restless when it tries to rest on creaturely things, but it rests in God. It finds its completion. But that joy is incomparable. That that trans the transcendent the relationship that we have with the transcendent one is incomparable. It's the pearl of great price. It's what the fisherman will give up everything for yeah. his whole business and everything to follow. Right. And that's why even with suffering, they'll count it a joy set before them. Why? Because there is nothing like that joy of knowing God. And and so it's the pursuit of that. Notice creation. It, it the creation itself attests to the invisible attributes of God. And what is the creature, truthful enactment of creatureliness, where your identity is to be found, is thankfulness. Yeah. And the, in light of no seeing this aspect of God, this transcendent aspect of God in the gifts of creation. And what happens when we break that chain, when we become ungrateful? The rest of our loves get malformed. Yeah. The rest of our relationships get distorted, and then we start to love the creature rather than the creator. Mm. And then we the, the whole yeah. whole so the reversal of that is what Glenn's talking about. Yeah, yeah. To, to, just one thing that I think is really important that he said in there that that could easily be missed. We are invited to participate in the inner life of the Trinity. Amen. We are invited into right the eternal triune God himself. Right. Reading, study this through John 14 to 16, the upper room discourse. What Jesus is saying about who we are right. and what our relationship to God is, is staggering. Right. And yet most people take it for granted. Uh, uh, they, don't, they don't even have a clue. Right. Well, and, and I'll just add, to bring this full circle, while there were some things about the Benedictine movement that I'm not excited about, Nevertheless, I will say, in in this to the to the extent that um, they gave themselves wholly to knowing God, to to being in communion with God, don't miss the fact that it actually didn't make them less connected to creation. It actually made them more connected to creation. And arguably, I mean, you mentioned in you know passing that they brewed beer. They they brewed really good beer. Um, they became uh, um, very proficient farmers, and they worked the land. And many of the, the, the booming civilization that yeah. came out of the West with the help of some Reformation freedom yeah. um, was built by a, a sort of monastic undergirding. Um, it, was, it was when you know the living God, when you know the, tr the transcendent triune God, you know and love the things that he knows and loves. And that turns out to be not only him, but his people and his world. And so the, the, the thought that, you know, giving yourself to the Psalms or giving yourself to prayer would somehow, um, you know, separate you or distance you from creation is absolutely um, ridiculous. Yeah. It makes you more in tune with the creation. Uh, again, like Tom Bombadil, like, you know, it, it makes you like, you know, the world for what it is. You love it for what it actually is. You celebrate it for what it is because it's God's favorite. Yeah. Mm. Let's, and this, add, let's add one more thing there. Every reform movement in church history up to and including the Reformation, started in a monastery. <laughs> yeah. 
And the reason is because monasteries taught people values that were different from the values of the world. Oh. So when the world, be, when the church became more worldly, you needed somebody from right. outside of it right. because values are formed in community. Right. You needed somebody from outside it yeah. to come correct it. Since the Reformation, it's been things like Methodist societies, right. things like that. So again, right. it's this intentional community thing, and we're back to Rod Dreher. Yeah, right. Nah. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and I will say, at the center of all of that is the word. Mm. Right. So it's 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 going to the word and it's intense times in the word, praying the word, singing the word, and that's that's the word from the outside that breaks all our lies. We can Amen. do this for probably another two hours. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm I know. Sure. I, know. Sure. Yeah. I know. appreciate you guys for being here. This is a blast. Yeah. We need to do yeah. it very it's soon. It's a podcast on the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Yes. Check it yeah. out. If you're not already listening to these guys regularly, yeah. what's wrong with you? Yeah, so if you're single, get you guys see the music just ran out. See what you did there? I'm, I'm supposed to have... So know. you guys know it's, the rule. It's, it's, and when I you know, hear the music, yeah, yeah, get out yeah, so I, I can it. get to it and start excited. doing it. I was excited. I was excited. Okay, let me try this again. There we go. If you're single, get married. And if you're married, have kids. And if you have kids, go baptize. Them. Until next week, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I, I got one more thing. Uh, love kidding. your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is cross politics. He muted you. What, what were you saying? <laughs> uh, what, you were saying something, Gabe? Yeah, yeah. Play with me. What you're not going to do. Let me tell you what you're not going to do. <laughs> Welcome to No Quarter November. My name is Douglas Wilson. I'm glad you decided to join us. Now, some people want to know, what is it about November that makes us want to burn things? What's with that? There's a little libation for those evangelicals who think I ought not to be drinking stuff like that. The reason, the reason we're doing this is not that we're, we think that there's a moral obligation that we have to be incendiary, because we don't have a moral obligation to be incendiary. What we're saying is that the world has mysteriously, for some bizarre reason, become flammable. So, the world is flammable. Everything catches fire these days. All you have to do is say something like white babies or, or something like men shouldn't have sex with unstable women. Things that would have gone past without comment in a saner time. But we don't live in a sane time. Um, we're not incendiary people here at Cannon Press. We are ordinary people, normal people, in a flammable time. And that explains why things burn in November. The basic point of No Quarter November on my blog is that normally, 11 months out of the year, when I say outrageous things or things that I know that people will take as outrageous, I make a point of qualifying it. I, I call it, it's not always in the second paragraph, but I call it the second paragraph rule, where I say, now, when I say this, I'm not saying this and that and the other thing. I qualify, and I qualify, and I qualify. And nobody pays the slightest bit of attention to my qualifications. And so I decided a few years ago that let's see what happens when I don't qualify anything. If I just say, if I just speak the truth, what happens then? Well, check in, no quarter November, and you'll see what happens then. My exhortation to all of you 
is that if it, if it seems like everything's gone nuts, if it seems like the world's on fire, just keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. Just stay with whatever your plans were. Keep doing what you ought to be doing. Stay at your post. Ignore the world. Mm. See? <laughs> well, I gotta get home for dinner.